Acts 26 and verses 12 to 32. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing round me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple, in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them. They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. There's no doubt about it, when it comes to TV shows, we love a good courtroom drama. It probably all started, if you're old enough to remember, uh, with this guy, uh, Perry Mason, uh, was a courtroom drama show that was on the television years and years ago, but since then there have been countless courtroom TV shows. 
Uh, we've got things like uh, um, Matlock and uh, Rumpole of the Bailey and Boston Legal and Law and Order, and the list could go on and on. The Practice, Ali McVeal, Kavanaugh QC, Judge John Deed. And if you're looking for a little bit of lunchtime action, well, you can always turn on to Judge Judy. What is it that we love about courtroom dramas? Well, I suppose it's a couple of things, really, isn't it? I mean, it's the tension that is created when there are those two opposing sides in a courtroom. We love not knowing how it's going to turn out. We want to see the truth prevail, but we love seeing the verdict. We love seeing how things are resolved in a court case. Well, this morning we're actually looking at three courtroom dramas and all of those elements are there in these courtroom situations. The Apostle Paul is going to testify before two Roman governors and one man who is a Jewish king. Now, we've skipped over a couple of chapters in Acts that we were going to look at last week but uh, didn't for a variety of reasons. So let me just get you up to speed. Paul has headed down to Jerusalem partly to take a gift for the Gentile church in, uh, for the, from the Gentile church to the church in Jerusalem. Things are pretty tough in Jerusalem at this time. There's been a famine and so the Gentile churches have chipped together to send some money down to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. But Paul's also gone there to report on the Gentile mission to tell people how things are going. He's gone there really as the tail end of his third missionary tour. Uh, this is, we've been looking at Paul's missionary tours and, and he finally wants to end up back in Jerusalem to give him an account of what's been happening and to deliver this gift. Things start well when he gets to Jerusalem. The church leadership there are quite happy with what Paul's been doing. But unfortunately, some people from Turkey have come down and have made all kinds of accusations against Paul and stirred up trouble for him. Now, the trouble that was stirred up was serious enough that the Roman officials have become involved. They have arrested Paul until they can get this whole thing sorted out and figure out whether or not this guy is a troublemaker. Now, the level of hatred for Paul is pretty intense at this particular point in time. Uh, there are those who love Paul and appreciate what he's done, but there's a significant number who want him dead. In fact, there were 40 men in Jerusalem who took a vow that they would not eat until Paul was dead. When the Roman commander heard about these men and the vow that they'd taken, and knowing that Paul was a Roman citizen, he knew that the best thing to do was to get him out of Jerusalem, so he sent him up to Caesarea. Just a little small trip up the road, but get him out of the trouble spot in Jerusalem and keep him imprisoned in Caesarea. And it's here that Paul goes before these two Roman governors and also before the, um, the uh, Jewish king. Now, the first governor that he goes before is a man by the name of Felix. He's the governor of Judea and he's a man remembered by Roman historians for his cruelty and for his excess. This is a man that you don't want to upset. You don't want to cross this guy because it could make your life exceedingly difficult. Uh, the hearing gets underway and the case for the prosecution is organised. Uh, church leader or Jewish leaders from Jerusalem have come up to Caesarea and they've brought a lawyer with them. You know that it's always going to end up a messy thing when the lawyers get involved, don't you? 
And with the greatest respect to those who might be in the legal profession, this guy is your classic lawyer. Tertullus is his name. Uh, back in those days, as today, sweet talking was seen as being a, an important skill that a lawyer would have. But I want you to, I want you to have a look at it. Uh, Acts chapter 24 and find verse number 2. This is Tertullus's opening remarks in the hearing. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you and your foresight has brought reforms to this nation everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order that we may not weary you any further, I would request uh, that you be kind and hear us briefly. What a suck up. I mean, seriously. I mean, he stops just short of saying, uh, Governor Felix, that robe you're wearing is rather fetching. It certainly suits you. It's your colour. And might I be right in saying you've lost a little weight? I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? But the charges are presented. Paul is accused of being a troublemaker, of stirring up riots, of being a ringleader of a Nazarite sect and also desecrating the temple. Now, the first three of those would have been a great interest to the Roman ruler, to the Roman governor, because they're all social order things, uh, stirring up trouble and, and causing riots, and being the leader of a non-approved religion in that area would have been illegal. So all of those three things would have been of great concern to the governor. But none of the charges were true. And more than that, they haven't got a shred of evidence to actually present in the court case. It's interesting to see how Paul opens his defence in contrast to the lawyer. Have a look at what we have, Acts chapter 25 and verse number 10. Oh, sorry, 24 verse number 10. When the governor motioned to him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I'm glad to make my defence. Doesn't say anything about what kind of a judge he's been. He says, I just acknowledge that you are the one who is the official in charge here, so I'm happy to stand up and make my defence to you. Paul pointed to their complete lack of evidence and unsure of what to do next, Felix adjourns the hearing, but over the following days, he gets Paul to come and speak to him again. Felix seems to be intrigued by what it is that Paul is doing or saying that has upset these people so much. And Paul was more than happy to appear before Felix because it gave him the opportunity to preach the gospel to him. Have a look, chapter 24, verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. I don't know about you, but I read that and I find that quite amazing. Here's Paul in prison, got a bunch of guys in Jerusalem who want him dead, unsure of what the outcome of any of this is going to be, but he's more concerned about Felix's spiritual well-being than he is about his own personal safety. He's more worried about Felix than he is about his own situation. When Felix come to speak, comes to speak to Paul, Paul doesn't use it as an opportunity to plead his case. He doesn't say, look, hey, I'm innocent, I haven't done anything wrong and there's no evidence, you should be letting me out of here. 
they're not the words that comes out of his mouth. He talks about faith in Christ Jesus. He talks about righteousness and self-control and the judgment that is to come. Not the judgment on Paul, but the judgment on all of us when Jesus comes again. But I want you to notice it's one of those strange things in Luke's account. Uh, Right at the end of chapter 24, we're told that Felix keeps Paul in prison for two years. You want to talk about unlawful detention? They haven't even got a, a crime to charge him with, and yet he spends the next two years in prison. And it's two years because that's how much longer Felix remains as the governor. Felix, we're told, he keeps him locked up there, partly because that was going to keep the religious leaders in Jerusalem happy, partly because he was hoping for a bribe from Paul, we're told, and partly because he just wasn't sure what to do with him. Well, two years passed and a new man is appointed. His name is Porcius Festus. Yes, that's correct. It's pronounced Porcius Festus. If you think you had a tough time when you were at primary school, could you imagine what it would have been like being at school with that name? And it is, the porkiest part is actually like from the word for pig. Well, Festus decided that his first task as governor, he hasn't been in the job for more than a few days, and he's going to sort this Paul thing out. He doesn't want this guy continuing to remain in prison. The Jewish religious leaders saw this as another opportunity to get one over the governor and to actually kill Paul. They're hoping that the governor will transfer him down to Jerusalem because what they will do is organise for an ambush party to attack him on the way. I don't know whether that ambush party involves those 14 men or 40 men who've taken a vow not to eat until Paul's dead because it was two years ago that they took that vow. They're probably feeling pretty hungry by this point, so uh, they would definitely want to be a part of that. Well, Paul declines the offer to have the trial transferred to Jerusalem and makes his appeal to Caesar, which he has the right to do as a Roman citizen. Paul says that he's more than willing to be tried by the Romans and if he's guilty, he's ready for his punishment, he is even happy to be put to death if that's what they find. He has no problem with the judicial system, he just doesn't want to be transferred down there for what might happen. And then we come to King Agrippa the next person that Paul appears before. Politicians today don't mind a little bit of travel. They seem to clock up quite a few frequent flyer miles. Our uh, own Prime Minister is in South America at the moment. Uh, And uh, Barack Obama, I don't know if you've seen this on TV, he's doing his farewell tour of Europe and the rest of the world, uh, visiting some uh, significant leaders to thank them for the support that they've offered him during his presidency. Um, I just remember this uh, while I was thinking about this during the week. Uh, Kevin Rudd, when he was Prime Minister, Minister made over 16 overseas trips in the first 12 months that he was the Prime Minister. Seemed to spend more time out of the country than in the country, which I think many of the electorate would have been very happy about. But that could just be me. Um, Well, politicians did a bit of travel back in Paul's day as well, and King Agrippa has come to visit Festus, probably to congratulate him on his appointment as the governor. Uh, King Agrippa was of Jewish extraction. He's one of the Herods, uh, one of the Herods who dealt with Jesus in the Gospels. Um, and the king part, well, it's really just an honorary title. He's really acting as a Roman government agent, ruling over a tiny little province in what we today would call Syria, uh, just north of Jerusalem. 
Festus thought that uh, Agrippa's Jewish background was going to be able to help with the case, so he wanted Paul to appear before King Agrippa. Uh, chapter 25, verse number 18. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him. This is what this is what Festus is saying to Agrippa. They did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss to investigate such matters. I love that. I think that's a great summary of Christianity, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's what it is that we're here for today about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Well, Paul's speech before King Agrippa is quite brilliant and we don't have a chance to look through the whole of it now, but he explains how he'd grown up as a Jew, had grown up in, in, a, in a particularly strict faction of Judaism. He was a Pharisee. And now his faith in God, well, his faith in God as a Pharisee had led him to persecute Christians. But then he told King Agrippa that he was really on trial because of the promises that God had made, promises that are now fulfilled through Jesus. Turn to chapter 26 and verse 22 and look at the conclusion that he makes in his speech to King Agrippa. But I have had God's help to this very day. It's a funny thing, isn't it? He's been in prison for two years. He's still in chains as he's standing before Festus and King Agrippa. But he can still say, I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Christ would suffer and as first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now on hearing all of this, Festus thinks that Paul's gone a bit loopy, that he's become some kind of weird religious fanatic, that he studies Friday's brain, but King Agrippa's not so sure. The one thing that both Festus and Agrippa agree on is that Paul's done nothing deserving of death. He's not guilty of any crime. But because he's made his appeal to Caesar, this whole thing has to head off to Rome. It's funny, when you read through the account, one of the reasons that Festus wanted Agrippa to hear all of this is that he's got to fill in the paperwork before he sends him to Rome. And Festus said, I've got no idea what to write down on this paperwork before we send him off to Rome. Now let me point out three things from this passage that I think we ought to be noticing today. The first one is this. There are remarkable similarities between what happens to Jesus and what happens to Paul in these two accounts. I mean, it sounds like the trial of Jesus being repeated again. Both of them were opposed by religious leaders in Jerusalem. Both of them were charged with things that weren't true and couldn't be proven. Both of them were taken before Roman governors and then before Jewish kings in Herod. In both cases, they're found to be innocent. I mean, it sounds as though Paul's going through exactly the same things as Jesus. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think what Luke, the writer of this, wants to say is, 
your life might start to look like the life of Jesus. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? He said, if they hate you, don't forget that they hated me first. If you find yourself in trouble, don't be surprised because look at what's going to happen to me. Well, it all seems to be happening to Paul. If you're a follower of Jesus, Luke's wanting to say, be ready because there may be hardships in your life because of your faith in Jesus. Second thing that I think stands out to me in this passage is Paul's great concern for all of the people that he speaks to. Paul's the one in prison, in chains, facing charges, yet he's more concerned about everyone else that he's talking to than he is about himself. He doesn't seem to be at all concerned about his own safety or his own well-being. Most people in Paul's situation would just shut up and say whatever needed to be said to get myself out of here. But Paul wants to speak to people, talk to them about Jesus. He meets regularly with Felix wanting to convince him about the importance of faith in Jesus. Talk to him about the judgment that is to come. And he talks to King Agrippa and it seems Paul's only concern is for Agrippa to place his trust in Jesus. I mean, he says that to him at the end of his speech. Here he is standing before the king and he says, he says, you know the prophets, don't you? And King Agrippa says, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Did you see Paul's answer? Chapter 26, verse 29. Paul replied, short time, long time, I'm easy, King Agrippa, as long as it takes. I'm happy to keep talking to you and explaining to you and answering your questions for you. Paul's number one priority is not self-preservation. His number one priority is enabling people to hear about Jesus. His highest priority is not his own well-being, but the spiritual well-being of those that are around him, the eternal well-being of the court. Paul knows just how important this message about Jesus is. During April in 1998, there was a breast cancer trial in Australia and it got cancelled two months earlier than it was actually due to finish. It was for this drug, tamoxifen. They were trialling this cancer prevention drug. Uh, They had 1,500 women who were considered to be at high risk and they were on the trial. Half of them were given the drug and half of them were given the placebo. But news came through that the trial of the same drug in the United States had proved without a doubt that this drug was successful in fighting breast cancer. So the trial in Australia was cancelled and the half who were on the placebo were straight away given this drug to take. So the scientists conducting the trial were far more interested in the patient's well-being than they were in the test results that they might get from the trial. They were far more concerned about the lives of those who were taking the tablets than the paperwork that they would produce from their tests. Well, Paul knows that this message that he has has got to be shared. His situation wasn't important. He was far more concerned about the lives of those that he was speaking to. Now, why does Luke give us Such a lengthy section, three whole chapters of the book of Acts. Why does he give us this courtroom drama? 
Is it to just reaffirm Paul's innocence in all of this? No, I don't think it is. I think he wants to set before us this example of Paul. It's the example that Peter talks about in his letter, in 1 Peter. He says this to the churches. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Set apart Christ as Lord. Live with Jesus as your priority in life. Be ready to tell people about the hope that you have. And do it with gentleness and respect for those people. That's exactly what we've seen from Paul, isn't it? In those trial episodes. Highest priority is Jesus and the good news about him. Takes every opportunity to share with people the hope that he has. He's on trial for goodness sake. And here he is trying to help Agrippa understand who Jesus is so that he can place his trust in him. And at every point, he does it with gentleness and respect. He's not rude. He's not bombastic. He doesn't damn them and say, you're all going to hell. He tells them about faith in Jesus. He tells them about self-control and righteousness and the judgment to come. And that's the take-home message for us, I think. This message about Jesus is too important. Life is too short to keep this message to ourselves. We need to look at Paul and say, I need to be more like that. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil.